0: It's <laughs> nice, as you never know how many people are going to be left. So shall I just pray and uh, commit this time to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word and uh, we pray now that you will speak to us through it. I pray, Lord, for an anointing of your Holy Spirit that you will bring home to us the, the truth of your word, that you will impress it on our hearts and that you will use it to change us into your likeness because we ask it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Right, as we haven't had a reading so far, I think I'd probably better start by reading Jonah 3. So if you'd like to find it in a Bible, if you want to follow it, um, it's towards the end of the Old Testament. Uh, But if you want to just listen, that's fine. So uh, Jonah goes to Nineveh. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go all through it. Jonah started into the city a distance of a day's journey and he proclaimed, Forty more days and Nineveh will be destroyed. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. The format for this morning, if you haven't been before... Uh, I'll talk for probably about 20 minutes or so and then we'll just have a, a short time after that, uh, a, a period of silence and reflection where we can think about what we've heard and then there'll be a, a time for questions. So if, you, if a question pops into your mind during, during the talk, uh, please make a mental note of it and uh, it'll be a chance to discuss those at the end. Well, we had a few days uh, holiday in South Wales a few weeks ago and got back in time Uh, just in time to catch Martin's first talk on Jonah. So uh, I feel I have a certain affinity with Jonah, as I I have had some experience of spending time in Wales. (laughs) I thought I'd get that one out of the way early on. (laughs) Um, And this morning we come to Jonah chapter 3. And uh, in case you've been away on holiday and missed either or both of the previous Sundays, I thought it'd be worth having just a brief recap of the story so far. The book starts with the words, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. So God instructed Jonah to take a message from him to the people of the city of Nineveh. But instead of doing that, Jonah completely refused and set off in the opposite direction. Uh, He went off in a boat, and as you probably know, the boat he was traveling in ran into a very severe storm. And the crew, believing that he was the reason for them running into this danger, threw him overboard. And uh, Jonah was then swallowed by a large large fish and vomited up onto the land. And that experience brought him to repentance. And so now we come to the start of chapter 3. You may have a slight feeling of déjà vu, really, because it starts almost in exactly the same way as chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. And then the beginning of the chapter that we're looking at now, chapter 3, says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. So we've kind of come round full circle, really, and Jonah is back where he started receiving the same command from God, but this time he obeys. And what happens next I think is quite remarkable. Um, We're told in verse 3 that Nineveh was a very large city. Uh, According to my Bible dictionary, I looked it up, the inner wall of the city was almost eight miles in circumference. And in chapter 4 of Jonah, we're told that the population was somewhere around 120,000. Uh, My Bible dictionary also suggests that uh, when in verse 3 we're told that it took three days to to journey across Nineveh, it was probably referring to sort of Greater Nineveh. There was an administrative district, I suppose a bit like Greater London and, you know, Central London. Uh, And that was probably 30 or 60 miles across, something of that sort of size. But we know that it was a very wicked and godless place. We're not told any details, but I think it would be reasonable to assume that Uh, those people who were in power were corrupt, that they were abusing their wealth and influence, they were exploiting the poor, denying them justice, and that there was widespread crime and violence, that's actually mentioned in chapter 3, and probably sexual immorality. These are the sort of things that are usually meant when the Bible talks about wickedness. And God tells Jonah to go to this city and tell them that because they've disobeyed him, they are going to face judgment. And you can imagine what the likely reaction might have been. It would be understandable if they'd rejected Jonah's message and it wouldn't have been at all surprising if Jonah had had a very violent reaction or even been killed. But in fact, what happens is that the people of Nineveh accept Jonah's message and they repent, they change their ways. The Ninevites believed God They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And the next verse tells us that even the king himself also turned to God. I think Jonah must probably rank as one of the most successful prophets of all time. You know, Jesus said to the people of his time, He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, And he described an experience which was quite common for for God's prophets to to receive opposition and violence, even death. But Jonah has tremendous success. He brings this really severe and unpalatable message to a crowd of godless people and they respond in mass repentance. This this major revival breaks out in Nineveh. For any... Prophet, I suppose this was a really gold medal performance. Uh, Certainly a personal best for Jonah, I think. And that, in essence, really is the story of chapter 3. Jonah obeys God, he goes to Nineveh and preaches to them, and they respond by turning to God. Now that's a very simple summary of of what happened, and it seems relatively straightforward, doesn't it? Um, There's not a lot of kind of complicated theology in it, as there is in, say, some of Paul's letters. And I think it would be tempting to say, right, well, we've understood that bit of the story. We'll go on to chapter 4. But when we read the narrative parts of the Bible, you know, the parts that just describe what happened, it's always good to ask ourselves what we can learn from them. You know, what does the story tell us, for instance, about God or about ourselves? And it's good for us to learn, I think, how to... Look at the Bible and how to understand it. And one thing I've found very helpful in getting to grips with a, a passage in the Bible is to ask a couple of questions. And one is, uh, how would we sum up the passage in just a couple of sentences? And also, is there a key phrase or a key verse in the passage which just seems to sum it up? As, as a preacher, I often imagine that um, at the end of the, the service, there's a woman outside the door with a clipboard who's interviewing people on the way out, and, and says, says to them, um, can you tell me what the sermon was about? And as a preacher, my, my objective really is, is to do my job to, to the point where you can all give a sensible answer to that question. I've certainly been to some churches, and if somebody had asked me what the sermon was about, I'd have to say, well, I had not a clue. <laughs> I didn't really see what it was about at all. Um, but that principle, I think, doesn't just apply to preachers. You know, when we read the Bible for ourselves, or we study it in our life groups, or just in our personal devotions, it can be very helpful to try and, try and sum up, just in a few words, what is the central message of a passage. And as I've been looking at this chapter over the last week or so, it seemed to me that one of the key themes, really, is that God gives people a second chance, And I thought the key phrase really was just those few words in verse 1 where it says, Then the the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Despite the fact that Jonah had very deliberately disobeyed God the first time round, God gave him a second chance. The word of God came to Jonah a second time. God didn't give up on him. Now Jonah was clearly a believer in God. Um, He must to some extent at least, have been listening to God because when the, God, the word of God came to him, he, he was aware of it. But as we, we know, his response was to do completely the opposite to what God wanted him to do. And maybe Jonah's experience is not directly relevant to uh, some of us who are Christians who may not be in direct disobedience to God at the moment. But I think the key message is that if we're not living in complete obedience to God then there is a second chance. It's not too late to change. And it does seem to me that obedience is not a particularly popular concept. None of us really likes to be told what to do, do we? And we live in a culture which values personal freedom very highly. We pride ourselves on being a country which has freedom. We have political and religious freedom. We have freedom of speech if we protest against the government, we don't get locked up as a rule. And we don't take too kindly to being told what to do, whether it's by the boss at work, the council, the church, the government, or anyone else. The idea of being obedient smacks rather of, of being subservient, doesn't it, of being constrained and controlled. Obedience is the sort of thing that goes on in totalitarian countries where any dissent is ruthlessly stamped out. Being obedient may be a good thing for our children. We all want them to be obedient, but once we are adults, we expect to be able to make our own decisions and go our own way. And that's healthy in some ways, isn't it? Making our own minds up and going our own way as adults is is in many ways a sign of maturity, but one of the great fallacies, I think, of our culture is that we find freedom by throwing off constraints. The idea that by abandoning restrictions and rules, we will be free. I know a few years ago there was a book written called The Shack, which was very popular for a while. Uh, written, a Christian writer called William Young wrote the book. And he, he uh, said, just a uh, A couple of sentences in that book, he said, For any created being, autonomy is lunacy. Freedom involves trust and obedience inside a relationship of love. As created beings, we are totally dependent on God. Without God, we would not exist, and we would not continue to exist. And to try and free ourselves from God is simply not a workable option. You know, it would be a bit like one of the scientists on the International Space Station waking up one morning and saying, well, I've had enough of being cooped up in here. I want to go out where I'm free and step out into space where there are no restrictions. But, of course, stepping outside into the freedom of space is not freedom at all, is it? That is the sort of freedom that literally leads to death. And Jesus said that joy comes not through the false freedom of abandoning God's commands, but by the freedom that comes from obeying him. In John 15, he said, If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus said that the most important commandment is that we love God and that we demonstrate that love by obeying him. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. And in his great commission to the church, he said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. We're committed to discipleship as a church and discipleship involves obeying God and teaching and encouraging others to do the same. And it seems to me that God's call to obedience is very uncompromising. In our human relationships and in human life in general, we, we know that um, there are all kind of rules that we, we are surrounded by, aren't we? But we know that a lot of them can be broken or bent. We can get away with a bit of flexibility here and there. We know that we can get away with speeding occasionally if we know where the speed cameras are. And we know at work which procedures are absolutely enforced and which ones aren't, and we know we can kind of get around those and nobody will mind too much. And often we know that in all kinds of situations, with a bit of haggling and a bit of give and take, we can, you know, bend the rules a bit. But it's, it's not possible to deal with God in that way, to only partly obey him. God does insist on being God. And Jonah wasn't able to negotiate with God and arrange to go somewhere that was a bit easier rather than Nineveh and take a message that was a bit more palatable and a bit less dangerous. The Christian writer uh, Selwyn Hughes said, thousands follow Christ when he gives them what they want but few follow him when he confronts them with what he wants and it's a sad fact I think that many Christians are happy to obey God up to a point but not fully and that has always been the case it's nothing new today even the Apostle Paul found the same thing in his letter to the Philippians he said I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So here is the Apostle Paul, and and he's saying that even in the team of people that he has around him, he's struggling really to find the people who are totally committed to God and who are willing to put God's interests before their own. And God is looking for people who will give themselves fully to serving him. People who will obey him wholeheartedly and look after his interests above their own. And I think the good news from the story of Jonah is that it's not too late. If you're a Christian and you're conscious that you've not been fully obedient to God... Maybe there's something you know that God wants you to do, but you've been refusing to do. It may be a big decision, you know, something like a call into full-time Christian ministry that you've been holding back on. Or maybe something much less dramatic, but nevertheless important. Perhaps like forgiving someone who has hurt you. And you know that that's something you should be doing, but you're just holding back from that step of obedience. Or maybe there's something you know God wants you to stop doing. Drinking too much. Getting angry with other people. Getting so involved with hobbies and other interests which are not wrong in themselves but which have taken us away from a wholehearted commitment to God. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The word of God is still there and we all have a second chance. It's not too late to follow Jonah's example and to make a change of direction. But in this chapter of Jonah, I think it's not just Jonah who receives a second chance. His message from God to the people of Nineveh is that they too have a second chance. Now, Nineveh was the uh, capital of Assyria, And the Assyrians were were not believers in God. They had a a religion which was polytheistic. That meant it involved a whole load of different gods. And uh, their lifestyle was a fairly godless one. At the start of the first chapter of Jonah, God says to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And the suggestion is that, that Nineveh was a particularly wicked city. You know, their wickedness had become particularly noticeable to God. But despite that, God did not reject them. He sent Jonah to warn them of the consequences of their disobedience. And when they repented, he forgave them. At the end of the chapter, it says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. And I think this part of the story is, is very relevant to any of us here this morning who would perhaps not call ourselves Christians. Maybe you feel that you are uh, not a particularly wicked person, not like the people of Nineveh, whose behaviour seems to have been particularly bad. But you may perhaps look around at other people and think, well, I'm really no worse than anyone else. Yeah, I wouldn't claim to be perfect or anything special, but I'm you're really not that bad. And so coming to God for forgiveness doesn't seem to be a particularly urgent need. But the problem is that as well as being uncompromising when it comes to obedience, God is also utterly uncompromising when it comes to sin. God's standard of purity is so absolute that none of us can meet it. And that meant that the only hope for the people of Nineveh Was to repent and come to God for forgiveness. And that is something which has never changed. The same thing applies to us. Jonah's warning of impending judgment applies as much today as it did in Jonah's time. Or to those of us who are not Christians, maybe you would say that uh, you've never become a Christian because you don't feel you're good enough but the fact is that none of us are good enough and none of us can ever be good enough. Our only hope is to have our sin dealt with by coming to God in repentance. So however we feel really, it makes no difference. God is still offering forgiveness to anyone who is willing to obey him, to anyone who is willing to admit that they have not put God at the centre of their lives but have gone their own way. And at the heart of the story of Jonah is is God's love for people who did not love him and who were living their lives without reference to his laws. And not only did he send them a prophet with the call to repentance, but he then pursued that prophet when he refused to deliver the message until in the end the message was faithfully delivered. So God gave a second chance to a believer (laughs) To Jonah and he gave a second chance to unbelievers to the people of Nineveh so the question I'd like to leave you with is very simple really is there a second chance that you need to take so I'll just have a a few moments of quiet now and uh, if you'd like to think about that question and perhaps consider well is there an area of your life in which you need to obey God Is there something you know that you should be doing or something that you need to stop doing? And what does it mean to you to know that God will give you another chance? So we'll just have a few moments of silence and a chance to think about that and then we'll have some time for questions.